This week, we'll go full Lorax and ask, who speaks for the trees? Plus, we'll take a look at some ways to draw attention to the climate crisis and a source of funding to come up with solutions. Hi, I'm Karen Unland. And I'm Faiza Ramji, and this is Bloom, the podcast about innovation in Edmonton. Hi, Faiza. I live in a neighborhood that's blessed with a lot of old trees. So when I go for a walk, there's like, it's beneath a canopy of green and there's big old spruce trees in the front and the back of my house. Uh, how about you? What's your, I'm the what's your tree? Really? I'm, yeah, I'm the opposite. I live in a new neighborhood. And so people are just starting to plant their trees and uh, create a little bit more green space. And in fact, I'm getting my front and backyard done right now. And yesterday they planted um, a few of the trees and shrubs in the front yard and instantly it's changed the way it smells. Um, mm -hmm. It just kind of makes you happy when you walk up to the front step compared to all the dust and dirt I've been smelling for the last eight months. So. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, well, those trees are doing more than just providing us with a pleasant aesthetic experience. They're also taking carbon dioxide out of the air and emitting the oxygen that we are breathing as we speak. The European Environment Agency says that one mature tree can take about 22 kilograms of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere in a year. So uh, that explains why the federal government is all jazzed about uh, planting 2 billion trees over the next decade. And our city has a goal to plant 2 million trees as well. Nice. I like to see those goals. Um, it, definitely seeing more greenery and, and more intentional greenery, even inside the airport and other indoor spaces. So uh, you're right. It does definitely have more than an aesthetic benefit, but I don't mind the aesthetics either. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is a podcast about innovation in Edmonton and trees are literally older than time. So wh why are we talking about trees? Well, you know, everything that is old becomes new again, uh, whether <laughs> it's in fashion or innovation. Um, and today we're going to be talking to Chris Kalal from Wild and Pine. So for folks who don't know, Wild and Pine is a climate action company. Uh, they've gone through a little bit of evolution in how they address that, but what's always been at the heart of it is afforestation. And if you don't know what that is, I'm not going to spoil anything because Chris <laughs> does a great job explaining it because I didn't know what it was. And I was really interested in just hearing, learning a little bit more about what they're doing and why they've decided to take on such a, such a big goal. It's a really fascinating company. Uh, it, it caught the attention of the prime minister. Uh, he talked about it when he was in uh, Edmonton in April to talk about the budget. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing more from your conversation. Well, perfect. Well, here it is, my conversation with Chris Kalal, founder and CEO of Wild and Pine. I'm speaking today with Chris Kalal, president and CEO of Wild and Pine. Chris founded Wild and Pine while getting his forestry degree at the University of Alberta. After working on land reclamation projects for the oil and gas industry, Chris quickly realized he could make a much bigger impact. Putting social good ahead of short-term profit, he pivoted in part to focus on marginal land renewal via afforestation and carbon offset generation, while developing the first completely artificial indoor production facility for growing tree seedlings in Canada. Hi, Chris. Welcome to Bloom. Hello. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I have so many questions for you, um, but maybe we'll just start at the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about Wild and Pine? What do you do and, and how did you come up with this idea? 
as you mentioned, like I'm a professional forester by trade. So one of the unique things about being a professional forester is that I'm obligated to act in the best interest of the public uh, and the environment first and foremost before any client. So um, throughout my career, it's kind of put uh, myself and the business in a very unique position as we see uh, the changing landscape of how uh, our businesses and industries interact with the environment in the face of a changing climate. I started the business just about 11 years ago, actually, in my second year of university at the U of A. And I very much started out as a natural scientist, uh, studying uh, how our boreal forest interacts with industrial development, as well as um, how do we restore that environment back to what we call an equivalent land capability. However, really since uh, about 2018, we've pivoted the business quite a bit because my role here as a, as a forester and my purpose and that obligation that I have to the public is changing. So I, I've really seen a, trid, uh, a transition of my role from more of a natural scientist to more, I guess, practicing into the social sciences of our businesses and industries and in Canada and what role does that play and how sustainable of a role can that play in the future and the generations to come. So it's, um, it's a really interesting space to be in, but um, we've essentially transitioned our business from being an environmental services provider, which is really still acts as the backbone of our business, but the area of growth is really in carbon. And how do we help democratize sustainability for Canadian businesses to lower that, their emissions profile uh, and do it in a sustainable and transparent way that kind of society as a whole can really uh, lean on and trust? Mm -hmm. I really like the term democratizing uh, sustainability. And I think, you know, we're we're seeing a lot of systems start to become democratized when it comes to like finance or media or any of those things. How does that look in your industry? And what's an example of how a business can take advantage of that in a way that's, you know, helping them as a business, but also contributing back to society? I'm really glad you brought that up, because when we look at sustainability and climate action programs, um, these programs uh, have historically been quite expansive and, and large scale, um, often uh, led by some of Canada's largest companies like uh, oil and gas companies or forestry companies um, and even banks as well. But when you look at how does the coffee shop on the corner participate in something that they can trust and they know has a, uh, an impact and a benefit on the land base as well as in the, the communities that surround that project as well. So we really focus on that. We still bring in uh, large-scale clients, but we really want to focus on how do we allow that, those coffee shops, those clothing stores, in addition to an airline here um, or a construction company, how do we help them and allow them to also participate in those sustainability initiatives when they don't have, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of a budget to put towards, you know, a mass tree planting effort or building a CCUS plant or direct air capture plant or a, a solar farm, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, so we really want to essentially try and create a program and a solution where we actually aggregate a bunch of smaller clients and partners and bring those together into one project so that we can bring that scale and deploy a project that has some very attractive economics at the same time. Mm. So, okay, give me an example of a, of a coffee shop and how they might participate in one of your projects. Uh, what we're doing actually this summer is Weldon Pine Sustainability, uh, which is kind of the carbon arm and the marketing arm of our business. Um, we're launching a project. It's called Stonewoods Forest Carbon, which is Western Canada's first uh, nature-based carbon removals project. And that's really important because there's a lot of confusion within the carbon market today and how a business like Coffee Shop can participate and know that their money is being put towards and their effort is being put towards something good. 
the carbon market really didn't do itself any favors. You know, there's been a lot of bad actors and obviously like those, those stories make the news lines, but we wanted to create a project that was right here in our own backyard. You know, our chain of custody and our project is is simply pointing to it. We know that our projects have an impact in central Alberta where they're being deployed. So uh, a group like a coffee shop or a construction company or an airline here can essentially uh, look at their emissions profile. And uh, we always want to encourage that companies look at efficiencies and renewables um, and target those first to reduce their emissions. But there's always going to be a residual uh, amount of emissions that are just simply uh, maybe cost prohibitive or unattainable to reduce um, whether they're, they have like a net zero goal by 2040 or 2050. So we really target those last 5 to 10% of emissions. Uh, and then we can build a program based on what the scale of those emissions are. Um, so that over time, the, the projects that we deploy and the trees that we plant essentially can grow and uh, remove those emissions from the atmosphere and do that in a verified and transparent and measurable way. Um, so that, you know, whether it's a organization participating through the Amazon Climate Pledge or uh, a certified B Corp like Wild and Pine, they know that our projects are verified and held to uh, a third party standard, a global standard, so that um, they can put those against their emissions and and confidently say that they're a net zero business or a carbon neutral business uh, in the years to come. Cool. So I'm glad you brought up the B Corp status because uh, I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, I know we've seen a couple of other businesses uh, in Ed- that are based in Edmonton that have achieved B Corp status. And I've always wondered, um, you know, what the, not what the benefit of being a B Corp is, because I think it's obviously beneficial to be practicing things in a, in a way of doing business. And I think that's what B Corp encourages. But with the B Corp status specifically, what does that mean for Wild and Pine? Why did you think that it was important? And does it change the way you approach your work at all? Or is it just being part of a global standard? You're not wrong in the sense that uh, the community, the B Corp community is incredibly strong and and it's so exciting and valuable to be a part of. But fundamentally, uh, when we decided to be a B Corp, the reason that we knew that we had to do it is because we knew that we had to be leaders within the community. Wilden Pine is Edmonton's eighth and Alberta's 24th uh, certified B Corp. There's not a huge concentration uh, of B Corps across Alberta. But when we're looking at an energy transition and a social transition at the same time, we knew that, you know, the, the way that we spoke in our business model, we we could assume that, you know, we are leaders, but we needed to verify that. We needed to showcase to the community that it doesn't matter how small we are, we're going to take this stance so that hopefully we can inspire others at the same time. And the companies that are doing business with us and partnering with us, they can trust the actions that we take because they know it's held to a pretty high global standard at the same time. So Weld and Pine, like naturally just, you know, the nature of our business, we were a B Corp, but uh, at the same time, it was a challenge that we knew that we had to excel in so that we can inspire the community around us. Yeah. And you guys are overachievers in general, because I read somewhere that it takes, you need on the point scale, there's a series of points that you get to determine whether or not you get B Corp status. And I think you need 80 points and you guys got something like 125. Is that true? Yeah, 123-ish around there, point something. So, um, yeah, we uh, we really hit it out of the park on our first assessment. Um, and it was quite an exciting process to go through. And and really, to be honest, kind of building on my last comment there, we, you know, just the nature of our business, we knew that we were leaders. But joining kind of the, the B Corp community and, and movement, um, it was really valuable because it gave us that global perspective, that, that perspective outside of Alberta's borders on what is important 
kind of much greater context. Like we, we only see what, you know, is, is on the headline news or on the, on the newspapers uh, and kind of regionally hear what we see on, on social media. But we knew that Weld and Pine, especially with carbon sustainability, we're, we're serving clients that are global uh, as mm-hmm. well, that they're international. We have to uh, ensure that our solution is a universal fit across the board. So we, we talked a little bit about afforestation and I have a guess of what that means, but I'm not 100% sure what that means. So can you tell me what it is and why is that uh, your focus versus kind of the land reclamation work that you were initially doing when you started out? What generally people will understand is reforestation. Um, that's a, a fairly common term. So afforestation is very similar, but the practice of afforestation is done on a land on a land base that was once historically covered by trees for some kind of purpose. Let's say it's like an industrial purpose or agriculture has since been cleared. So afforestation is like the technical term for uh, a piece of land that has been cleared for, I believe, around 20, 20 years time. What we do is we want to go in and seek out those areas, whether they're you know marginal or unproductive lands, and put those back into a forested landscape if they're not being utilized in uh, in a greater capacity as well. And you know when we when we drive down the the QE2 down to to Calgary or, or up north or out west, um, a lot of people don't realize that you know this area was once covered in an aspen parkland forest. That uh, a lot of the clearing in the farmers' fields that we see today are uh, you know have been cleared through, you know, generations um, before us as well. So we we don't want to be taking, you know, good productive land that, you know, we need for farming away from the community. We're looking at targeting those areas that, you know, may see periodic flooding events or uh, were cleared and the, the train is a little bit, you know, not suitable for farming to, to drive a combine over, over or something like that. So uh, we look for those areas to really improve the intactness and connectivity of, of our forested and aspen parkland uh, landscape. Wow, that's that's pretty cool. It's like re-energizing pieces of land that are currently inactive for whatever reason and putting them to some use that is just really beneficial for for our landscape, but also for people in general. I think, you know, from an experiential standpoint, visually, and also I think from a health perspective, the more uh, trees we have, just the better of a quality of life we get, right? Yeah, the 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 co benefits of having you know trees and environment in our everyday lives are are incredible. Um, you know whether it is just you know the the health benefits, access to green spaces, and even like think back, it was actually this time of year last year when we were going through, I think the first of two heat waves that you know when we have that uh, that forested land base, it actually acts just like the you know the hair on uh, on on your arm. Um, it insulates and it creates um, a little bit of a, a, of a barrier. The, the temperature is under a forested canopy or uh, when kind of trees or vegetation around you are significantly lower than mm-hmm. if um, it was just like a pavement parking lot or something like that. So uh, the benefits are really incredible. And I guess when we look at it, like, let's say like the, you know, the, the economics of it, as well as the, the ability for our forest to produce verified carbon offsets, when you're looking at a tree, uh, you're looking at our greatest tool, our most powerful tool to regulate the carbon cycle and uh, uh, mitigate the effects of climate change. And sometimes, you know, here in Alberta, like we're builders, we're tool makers, we're innovators. We love, you know, looking for, you know, how do we build that next solution when, you know, we can look around us and it's been here all along. Uh, mm-hmm. We're pretty good at building refineries, but we're also pretty good at planting trees. So it's one of those things that is often overlooked. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of stuff that we you know, have at our fingertips that we just need to push a little bit on in order to really maximize 
what we can get out of them. And, and sometimes we overlook that for, you know, some of the other things that we, we know we need, but we kind of let the, the scales tip out of balance, really. And, and I think we could look at things a bit more holistically. And so it makes sense to me now that because you're doing a lot of these um, afforestation projects, that it, it makes sense now why you have an indoor uh, tree seedling facility. How did that idea come about? Back in 2018, we identified a, a critical upcoming supply gap of tree seedling. So to put it in perspective, across Canada, um, the forest industry alone is responsible for planting around 600 million trees every single year. Um, layer on the 2 billion tree planting commitment, community tree planting initiatives, the then the carbon market, uh, as well as industrial disturbance, land reclamation, like in oil and gas, we're looking at uh, a 40% demand increase compounding every single year. So tree seedlings and the supply of those tree seedlings and how we can grow them more efficiently on less space, use less resources is incredibly important. Back in 2018, it was actually well before the, the 2 billion tree planting program that was announced from the federal government. We saw a, a huge need for, for tree seedlings, not only kind of like acutely here, through our business and the province, but actually kind of on a global context. So when we look at countries like China or Pakistan, they're planting billions of trees every single year. Uh, I think since 2016, China was planting 2 billion trees a year, uh, and we're planting 2 billion trees over the next 10 years uh, as well. So it kind of gives you perspective on the scale and the sheer scale that's that's needed to produce these native plant materials and do it well and do it efficiently uh, with less resources and with all the technology coming, or sorry, largely driven by the, the food production industry as well as the cannabis industry, we thought it was a phenomenal opportunity to adopt some of that technology uh, off the shelf and apply it to the production of tree seedlings. Yeah, I mean, here, especially in, in Canada, we have a lot of land that is tough to grow things on, right? Even though we have a lot of space and we're not highly industrialized like China or Pakistan or, you know, India, we definitely have some some places where we just can't really do what we would like to do. So I think that's pretty interesting that we can be starting to grow things um, indoors and artificially to almost just get things started, basically, and then take them out into the wild. So what's been your biggest challenge so far in terms of um, getting the message out about wild and pine and, and just in your business in general, what's been the toughest thing? Probably an answer that um, maybe might hit some people a little bit of the wrong way, but I think it, it really needs to be addressed is our reputation here in Alberta. And, um, you know, it, it's tough saying that because Alberta has had a, such a strong industrial uh, economy for such a long time. And uh, when we look at, you know, the global context and doing business in a global community, our identity is challenged. With that said, uh, it, I would say, you know, like we're we don't give ourselves the credit that we deserve. Like I mentioned before, we're the best engineers, we're the best innovators, we're the best tool makers on the planet. Our innovations that have been largely driven by uh, the energy sector can be found across the world. Our standards and, re and regulations are mimicked across the world. Uh, when we look at the energy transition and what the position that Alberta plays in our economy, we're already leaders, but we actually don't even know it. Well, I guess we're starting to see it, especially with the, the hydrogen economy. That's really kind of um, being developed here in the capital region. But we, when we look at our ability to deploy and create technologies, build efficiencies and build models and train professionals, we've been doing this for, for decades in a world-class and highly regulated and strict um, operational environment. So when we look at, you know, 
the reputation of Alberta, there's likely, you know, a few things that people from outside of our borders think. But when we look at the passion, the skills, and the professional abilities of the people that are here, we can be leaders in so many different sections, uh, hydrogen, healthcare, health sciences, carbon, sustainability, forestry. Uh, we are so incredibly well positioned. We almost just have to, you know, just take the bulls by the, the bull by the horns and really, uh, really stand out. Yeah, I think uh, what we're the worst at is marketing and branding, I would say, in Alberta. Uh, our individual businesses are bad at it. We're too humble. And then um, as, a, as a whole, we're very bad at it. Because if you think about it, we excel at everything that's going to be powering the future, right? AI and ML is a huge strength here in engineering, um, even energy and looking at alternative energy. And, uh, you know, we've kind of got all these major energy players in our backyard and they're, they're kind of in this like playground of innovation. You know, what you guys are doing with uh, sustainability and, and carbon offset, we've got, you know, we're leading kind of in cell agricult cellular agriculture and, and alternative proteins. So we're kind of, we kind of have all the makings of the future. We just aren't doing a really good job at telling the story or moving in a more of a united uh, or as a concentrated front, not united. I don't think we're I don't think we're ununited about it. I think we're just not super concentrated on it. And I think it's really funny that, you know, there's some thinking around there that it's one or the other. But really, it's more of like a yes and kind of mentality that we need to start adopting on, on the reputation side. So I definitely agree with you. And I think the makings are all there. We're just. Yeah, like you say, we just got to grab the bull by the horns there. When you think about what's coming next and all the excitement of, of what is happening in our province, where's Wild and Pine going and, and what are you most excited about over the next five to 10 years? We've been around for 11 years and um, the business has evolved quite significantly and pivoted. I, I say like I've, I've had the benefit of, you know, owning and operating a business uh, here in Alberta for the last uh, or the last decade. But on the inside, I'm crying. Uh, because it's been quite a challenge. But what that has really done is that that has conditioned us to always be testing and innovating and really looking at what the solutions are to, you know, tomorrow's problems well ahead. Like uh, our business, it is in our business model to be two steps ahead of, of where things are at. So when we look at what we've kind of already accomplished and achieved right now, Wild and Pine, and like we're, we're scaling the, the demand for our products um, and services, uh, we simply can't keep up as as a small business. So we really need, you know, the kind of our, our community and our partners to almost like rally behind us at the same time because some of the kind of like the the scale of what we're you know being asked for is just simply not achievable by a small business. So that's kind of my job over the next six to twelve months is how do I position Weldon Pine so that we can grow? Because when we look at our Bioprism Advanced Vertical Greenhouse Technology, um, we don't sell tree seedlings, we sell technology, and we desperately need more seedlings. When we look at uh, the carbon market, as a lot of the confusion is residing throughout the industry, uh, carbon removals is really kind of the only pathway that, whether it's through the uh, science-based targets initiatives uh, or coming from the UN, they're all everyone's looking for carbon removals opposed to carbon avoidance. There's only a few ways you can do that. Uh, that's either through CCUS, direct air capture, or nature-based carbon removals. So when we look at the demand for our products over the next next decade, I actually just read a report um, coming from EY um, last night that the demand for high-quality verified carbon removal offsets is going to increase uh, 20 times uh, by 2035. And the price point for an offset today, I think, is around $25 a ton U.S., whereas that's expected to be north of, uh, of $100 uh, a ton by uh, by 2035 as well. So 
simply the demand for our products is exponentially rising. Uh, but what's most important is the demand for um, high quality, transparent, ethical Canadian products as well. So we're so well positioned. So we, we ourselves almost have to grab, grab the bull by the horns because um, the marketplace is, uh, is, is evolving, but it's, it's really accelerating at a pace that uh, we hope that we can uh, remain leaders within. Well, that's exciting. And yeah, definitely don't make the Albertan mistake and, and not toot your own horns because I think what you guys are doing is amazing. And it's really great to see a company that's so well poised to be a global leader uh, right here in our own backyard. So thank you so much for the discussion. I really appreciate it. And I'm even more excited about what Wild and Pine is doing now. We'll, uh, we'll definitely be keeping you posted. And uh, thank you so much for having me on. Well, you were right. There's a lot of innovation going on at Wild and Pine. Um, I'm interested in that on two fronts. So one is the social enterprise innovation, kind of this idea of democratized sustainability, kind of making it possible for everyone to have a concrete impact through this Stonewoods forest carbon project. And it looks, at least from the outside looking in, like a real effort to build new habitats, not just kind of do this kind of stick a seedling in the ground and uh, greenwash it without actually doing any good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I thought, um, I mean, I learned a lot about um, why planting trees is important and really thinking about how we plant them rather than just like you say, stick a seedling in the ground. I think being intentional about where they go what the purpose of that land is, how does it interact with industry and uh, urbanization. Um, but now that we, you know, once I talked to Chris about this, our goal of uh, 2 billion trees seems a little bit small. And I know, mm. you know, we got to take tiny steps to to make big impact, but I hope that we can kind of continue uh, building on that. And and hopefully Wild and Pine is one of the companies that, um, that helps figure that out. Mm-hmm. I'm also interested in some of the technical innovation that they've engaged in to kind of optimize the the production of those baby trees that they're going to put in the ground. So what they will link to it in the show notes, it talks about this bioprism advanced vertical greenhouse. I mean, that's kind of interesting already, uh, but it, it's sticking in my head because it dovetails with an interview that I did with G2B Optics, which will be on a future episode of Bloom. And um, G2B has pivoted towards more uh, solar simulation for aerospace and research and solar energy. But where it started was providing light for indoor farming. And Wild and Pine was one of its early collaborations. Yeah, I'm not surprised that they collaborated. They're both doing really uh, interesting things. And, you know, it always surprises me how much people in Edmonton are using these very R&D technology forward ideas that come out of, out of their university uh, experiences and then turn into these really phenomenal, um, important companies. And so, again, it kind of just goes to show that the effort that we're making to help people commercialize their ideas coming out of the University of Alberta is something we need to to keep doing and to double down on. And um, you know, places like the aerospace or the AATC at the at the airport where they're focusing on the sustainability city and stuff like that, we're just kind of creating more of these opportunities for companies to collaborate and and tackle some of these giant problems together. Because I don't see how we'd get them solved otherwise. 
Mm-hmm. It's kind of one of those um, benefits of being in a university city that is a little bit maybe under the radar, but it's like a critical mass of smart and creative people colliding and coming up with good ideas. I think it also speaks to the importance of valuing basic research and not trying to make everything so vocational. I think that we're in a in a place right now where a lot of where the provincial government frankly is really interested in um making universities a place where you go to learn how to do a job and then you do a job. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of amazing innovation that's come out, out of uh the University of Alberta and other post-secondaries in Alberta that you can't tell yet how it's going to have an economic impact. But obviously, then we watch companies like uh, G2V and, and Wild and Pine, and they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially when, you know, they, they're learning how to learn in university. They're doing primary research. But until they start putting it into the real world, um, they don't know where to take it. And so, you know, it's not surprising that we see so many pivots by companies doing this type of work. I'm sure we'll see it uh, with more companies in the future. But again, it also does, in my biased opinion, show us where we need to focus a little bit more, which is helping these very research intensive, innovative companies tell their stories better and mm-hmm. and do a little bit more work with them on their marketing and sales. Because they are constantly pitching, whether it's for customers, partners, funding, whatever it might be. But when you work in something that's so complex that people don't easily understand or see an immediate be- benefit from, and they're kind of investing in the future, uh, you have to do a really good job of telling people why that's important and and getting their buy in. So just my two cents. That's the Pfizer Ramji <laughs> uh, approach. Tell the story better, guys. All right. Well, let's yeah. take a break, and when we come back, we'll chat about some other climate related news. Bloom is brought to you by Innovate Edmonton. Here's a message from our sponsor. At Innovate Edmonton, we are elevating our city as a global capital of innovation, a thriving center of inspiration, ingenuity, and growth. Our role is to empower you as local innovators, connecting you to capital and customers, helping you to achieve your goals and make a global impact. We're supporting career-defining jobs for a rapidly changing world where companies, consumers, and investors are looking for a triple bottom line of people, planet, and prosperity. When Global Investment looks at Edmonton, we can demonstrate an innovation ecosystem working in harmony with healthy access to capital, collaborative communities, and a competitive spirit. Go to InnovateEdmonton.com today to learn how to accelerate your business. This episode of Bloom is also brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Life as a business owner can be hectic, to say the least. Alberta Blue Cross understands that. They offer flexible health, dental, life, and disability coverage for your employees. Even better, you can let your staff enroll and manage their coverage at any time and on any device. That makes life easier for them and for you. You've got this when it comes to group coverage for your small business, and Alberta Blue Cross has got your back. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca.
All right. Well, your conversation with Chris Kalal was well-timed as we're recording during uh, Covering Climate Now's Joint Coverage Week. This is uh, something that Taproot has participated in for quite a few years now. It's a worldwide effort to focus our collective attention on the climate emergency. And this year, it's specifically about the intersection with food and water. So we're doing a few stories and podcast episodes that are on this topic, and uh, we'll link to to that in the show notes, as well as some of the other work that's being shared through uh, Covering Climate Now's uh, global effort. Yeah, I saw a story that that you guys did at Taproot this week that was about food waste. Um, And, you know, for me, food waste, just on a personal level, is such a a big thing that I try to be really mindful of because it seems like an easy way to make a difference. And I know sometimes we think about like, oh, well, what difference does it make if I throw away a little extra bit of onion or a little bit, you know, extra pieces of garlic. But, um, you know, the numbers are quite staggering at how much food we produce versus how much we actually need to feed people and and the waste that could actually make up the difference. So uh, I'm glad to see these stories and I'm I'm curious to keep reading more about it. There's some interesting innovations that maybe some future episodes of Bloom can get into as well. Uh, in in the food waste area, one is on kind of more that social enterprise st- side of things, like how do we kind of harvest perfectly usable food that is currently not being used and, and, and make sure it gets it into the to mouths of people or even sometimes livestock uh, so that better to be used than not. And the other uh, interesting thing that I've come across is um, kind of food products that are spun out of what was waste. So mm. uh, I'm thinking, if I can remember it, we'll put it in the show notes, but I'm thinking there's a company that is taking kind of the leavings from the brewery process and turning it into some kind of snack uh, product. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's all like kinds a of things. Bar. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of uh, interesting ways that people are trying to keep it out of the landfill and, and extract all of the energy that we can from it before we get rid of it. Yeah. And some of it is also just, um, we don't realize it's it's the impact of the supply chain and keeping costs down for farmers and producers. Like somebody once told me that, you know, even in terms of like all the lettuce that's grown, you you see lettuce in plastic bags a lot, like iceberg lettuce and romaine and stuff like that when you go to the grocery store. And to be able to order bags at a certain volume uh, and get the price breaks, people order them in a standard size. But we all know that things don't grow in standard sizes. And so they were mentioning that a lot of the food that ends up uh, being redirected is because it doesn't fit in those bags. Either oh, yeah. it makes the bag look too empty or it's too full for the bag. And that's so disappointing and kind of heartbreaking to think about. But I also get it at the same time. Like you can't afford to buy, you know, millions of different sizes of bags. And one would argue maybe you don't need bags, but it's just funny. Like it's such a complex system and we don't really realize where all the, the opportunities for improvement are if we don't really understand the entire supply chain. Yeah, well, maybe an opportunity to come across some of those solutions is uh, is the next story I want to bring to your attention, which is that Alberta Innovates has launched the Agri-Food and Bio-Industrial Innovation Program. So it's going to provide $10 million over three years to researchers and technology developers to working, who are working on agriculture and forestry projects. And it's particularly interested in increasing productivity uh, and lowering greenhouse 
gas emissions. So sounds like something that Wild and Pine might have a good shot at tapping into. Yeah, definitely. I Again, I, I always see this uh, working on research and technology, but we're not really working on you know some of the low-hanging fruit that could take that $10 million and, and make a lot out of it. So maybe I'll have to try and find somebody at Alberta Innovates who's, uh, who's willing to fund some food production, because I know there's lots of great people all over the province that are working on, on different food uh, innovations, and mm-hmm. it would be great for some of that money to go to them. Yeah, I, mean, I looked at the thing. We'll link to it in the show notes. But I thought that might be some field notes possibilities there. You know, <laughs> you can tell your story in the way they're looking for it. Um, the program is open to small and medium-sized enterprises as well as industry organizations and R&D organizations and post-secondaries and labs. So, And it has a continuous intake. Uh, so I assume they'll just keep taking applications till they run out of money. Uh, so... We'll see where that goes. Well, that's it for this week. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss upcoming episodes of Bloom. And if you like this episode, feel free to share it with a friend. Bloom is produced by Tapper Edmonton with editing by Castria. Our music is by Davon Beaker and our cover art is by Vicki Wersinski. Bye.